If you're between the ages of four to the second grade, you were excused to kids' club. Well, this morning we are starting a new series. It's a, a fall, it's a kickoff Sunday, so it's a good time to kick off a new series. We're going to spend our next seven weeks walking through a series I've called Design and Deception. Looking at God's original intent, what did the world look like before the fall? What did it look like? How did people interact with each other? How did people interact with God? What was God's design and intention for us? And then Deception. What role does sin play? What, what role did the fall play in our lives? And how is Satan still at work? You know, if you look around the world we live in, there are all kinds of huge issues floating around. So we're going to step into some of them. And we're going to use these two lenses, this idea of design, and this idea of deception, to get a sense of what God's perspective might be. So as we step into it, we're going to look first at the design of God. How did God design it to be? Things like life, identity, sexuality, relationships, marriage, family. Why were they created? And what was their purpose? And the deception of Satan. How has Satan twisted our perspective? And potentially led us away from God's intent? I'm going to say several times biblical perspective. Because we are going to extensively be looking at the Bible to inform our positions. We're going to use the Bible as our authority. It's a book we hold really high here because we think the Bible is far more important than experience and it's far bigger than my opinion. And if you've noticed it all, if you're on social media at all, you'll note that we live in a time when we increasingly hear Christians. I'm going to use this a lot. Christians espousing thoughts and ideas, even claiming them to be Christian, though they don't remotely reflect the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, or otherwise the rest of Scripture. We live in a time where people twist the Scriptures. They misinterpret the Scriptures. They take selective ideas or thoughts, pull them out as if the whole book says this, and they miss the rest of the reality. It's our desire to have a biblical perspective. Because what I think and how I feel, when not rightly related to the truth, can lead me, can lead any of us into trouble and ultimately lead us away from our Creator. And with the recent headlines with Planned Parenthood, same-sex marriage, Caitlyn Jenner, Ashley Madison, we could go on and on and on and on. There's plenty in our newspapers, magazines, and again, our social media that tell us that the world's in hurting right now. And that what we really need as a church and as a country and as a culture is to know where Scripture bears on these things, to get a sense of what God's perspective is. Now, I should be honest with you immediately. I did not want to teach this. I spent a good part of the summer praying for God to give me a different direction to go. But I kept coming back to it, feeling like this is what God had for us in this season. Over and over and over, I felt like the Lord pushed me back to this and to shepherd our church in this way. It's a funny reality being a pastor. 
Because sometimes you look out in culture and you go, why are we doing this as a church? Why are Christians acting this way? And then you ask yourself, why don't they know better? And sometimes the answer is, because the church needs to steward our pulpits better. We need to shepherd our congregations. We need to put before you truth, rather than just asking you to guess. So that's how we're going to spend our time. We're going to start this week and next by giving you two lenses that I think are going to be really helpful for us to consider when looking at these bigger issues. The first is to consider God. And ultimately the questions and the fundamental questions that surround him. When you consider God, is he trustworthy? Is he believable? And perhaps some bigger questions like, is he relevant? And perhaps even more personally, does he rule? Does he have the right to set up boundaries for your life or for mine? Can he say that this is good for me? Can he say I created you for this? And subsequently, does he have the right and the ability to say, this is out of bounds? I didn't design this you for this. For if we claim a God who cannot say no to us, we need to be honest about the fact it's not God who we worship. It's ourselves. We must have a position where God has authority over us and over our lives. And secondly, and we'll look at it in this next week, the second lens to consider is, what impact is the, has the fall had? What do we believe about Satan? And do we believe he's still at work? And if so, what might his work look like? What impact does the fall have? What impact is sin having? How does it change? How does it challenge my view of God? How does it challenge my view of man? How does it challenge my view of sin? And not just sin with a little s, sin with a capital S. And what are these compounding effects of sin? So we've got some deep waters to walk into in the next several weeks. So we're going to start with God and his great design. And next week we'll walk into the fall and deception. And then the following five weeks, we'll walk into life, identity, sexuality, marriage, and family. What was God's intent and purpose for these things? And how is Satan absolutely playing with it to our demise? So using these two lens, it's our desire to give you a biblical and a theological framework to consider the issues of our day. So if you would, can we just take a moment to pray? Pray with me. Great God in heaven, thank you for creating us and thank you for loving us. Thank you that in your great sovereignty, you've provided your word to us, the Bible, which we cling to. Father, may this book, rather than our experience, rather than our thoughts or ideas, may this book be our authority. Father, we want to claim it. We want to cling to it. And Father, we want to ask that you would teach us. We want to ask, Father, that we would be students of you.
So in this next several weeks, Father, I pray that you would watch over us, that you'd guide us, that your spirit would be our teacher. Father, if there are any thoughts or ideas that might unnecessarily come from me, Father, mute them out. May they never be remembered. And yet, God, if you have truth that you want to bear to light for us, Father, may it shine brightly. And Father, would you be our teacher that you could show us your desire and your intentions and your hopes and the boundaries that you've set forth for us. God, it is our desire. I pray, Father, on behalf of this church, God, it's our desire to glorify your Son and to make much of him and the work that he did at the cross. Father, I pray over the next several weeks that you would guard our ears and our hearts. Father, some of this will be challenging. Some of this will be hard to hear. And yet, Father, I know that you have truth for us. Father, don't let Satan work at all in this room. Bind him from this place that your word would rule. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So starting with this first week, we want to start with one of the most significant verses in the entire Bible, conveniently found on page 1. Genesis 1.1. This is what it says. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. This is a profound statement. We even found, walked through it last summer, Hebrews 11.3 says, In faith, we believe God created the heavens and the earth. This isn't a New Testament concept. This is a biblical concept. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this little verse becomes the basis for our worldview. Or more simply put, it becomes the lens through which we must see everything. God created the heavens and the earth. This little claim right at the beginning actually becomes the thesis for the rest of the Bible and the rest of the book defends and supports this claim. In the beginning... God, wasn't you, it wasn't me, it wasn't a creative philosopher, it wasn't an energy, it wasn't a force, it was God. And he created everything, the heavens and the earth. Everything you can see, he created all of it. John 1 says this, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without, any, without Him was not anything made that was made. And we know the Word to be Jesus. God created everything. 
And according to Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth. And here's a key part. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything was created by God in the beginning. And he used incredible design and he used incredible purpose as he laid it all out. You'd watch that reading Genesis 1. On the first day, I'm not reading all of Genesis 1, I'm just going to give you six little highlights. On the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. On the second day, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the water from the waters. On the third day, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. On the fourth day, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. On the fifth day, God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. On the sixth day, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And you see it played out. Our great creator God set absolutely everything into motion. And when he finished, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. It was very good. Now consider this. In this great process of creation, God created not just the visible, but the invisible. He created light and water and dirt and fish and birds and cows and people. All great things we appreciate. But he created the invisible also. He created physics. He created biology. He created chemistry. He created thermodynamics and all sorts of other words I don't understand and classes I couldn't get into in college. He created all the natural law and order that everything stands on that we never, ever see or appreciate. He created all of it and with tremendous precision. None of this was by accident. None of it was happenstance. And I give all that to you to give you a perspective of the invisible. Now I'm going to show you a video. Now somewhere in the line of public speaking, there's some rule about how long of a video clip you're allowed to show. I'm breaking it. Uh, I'm about to show you a five-minute clip. I'm about to show you a five-minute clip because I can't do better in five minutes than William Lane Craig can. This is his organization. Ooh, he paused it. Reasonable faith. I could, have surmi- I could have summarized this, put together some short clips, made me look re- sound really smart. But I think by now we realize I'm not this smart. So let's let the experts talk about it for a little while, and we'll get a sense of God's creation. Watch it with me.
from galaxies and stars down to atoms and subatomic particles. The very structure of our universe is determined by these numbers. These are the fundamental constants and quantities of the universe. Scientists have come to the shocking realization that each of these numbers has been carefully dialed to an astonishingly precise value, a value that falls within an exceedingly narrow, life-permitting range. If any one of these numbers were altered by even a hair's breadth, no physical, interactive life of any kind could exist anywhere. There'd be no stars, no life, no planets, no chemistry. Consider gravity, for example. The force of gravity is determined by the gravitational constant. If this constant varied by just one in 10 to the 60th parts, none of us would exist. To understand how exceedingly narrow this life-permitting range is, imagine a dial divided into 10 to the 60th increments. To get a handle on how many tiny points on the dial this is, compare it to the number of cells in your body or the number of seconds that have ticked by since time began. If the gravitational constant had been out of tune by just one of these infinitesimally small increments, the universe would either have expanded and thinned out so rapidly that no stars could form and life couldn't exist, or it would have collapsed back on itself with the same result, no stars, no planets, and no life. Or consider the expansion rate of the universe. This is driven by the cosmological constant, a change in its value by a mere one part in 10 to the 120th parts would cause the universe to expand too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, the universe would, again, be life-prohibiting. Or another example of fine-tuning. If the mass and energy of the early universe were not evenly distributed to an incomprehensible precision of one part in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd, the universe would be hostile to life of any kind. The fact is, our universe permits physical, interactive life only because these, and many other numbers, have been independently and exquisitely balanced on a razor's edge. Wherever physicists look, they see examples of fine-tuning. The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. If anyone claims not to be surprised by the special features that the universe has, he's hiding his head in the sand. These special features are surprising and unlikely. What is the best explanation for this astounding phenomenon? There are three live options. The fine-tuning of the universe is due to either physical necessity, chance, or design. Which of these options is the most plausible? According to this alternative, the universe must be life-permitting. The precise values of these constants and quantities could not be otherwise. But is this plausible? Is a life-prohibiting universe impossible? Far from it. It's not only possible, it's far more likely than a life-permitting universe. The constants and quantities are not determined by the laws of nature. There's no reason or evidence suggests that fine-tuning is necessary. How about chance? Did we just get really, 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 really lucky? No. The probabilities involved are so ridiculously remote as to put the fine-tuning well beyond the reach of chance. 
So in an effort to keep this option alive, some have gone beyond empirical science and opted for a more speculative approach known as the multiverse. They imagine a universe generator that cranks out such a vast number of universes that odds are life permitting universes will eventually pop out. However, there's no scientific evidence for the existence of this multiverse. It cannot be detected, observed, measured, or proved. And the universe generator itself would require an enormous amount of fine-tuning. Furthermore, small patches of order are far more probable than big ones. So the most probable observable universe would be a small one inhabited by a single, simple observer. But what we actually observe is the very thing that we should least expect, a vast, spectacularly complex, highly ordered universe inhabited by billions of other observers. So even if the multiverse existed, which is a moot point, it wouldn't do anything to explain the fine-tuning. Given the implausibility of physical necessity or chance, the best explanation for why the universe is fine-tuned for life may very well be it was designed that way. A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super-intellect monkeyed with physics and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. There is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Now, I know some of you just nerded out for five minutes. I mean, some of you are going to download that, find it, watch it, memorize it. I don't know what 10 to the 60th to the 123rd even means. But the reality for us, and why I showed it to you, is the evidence for what we have is absolutely phenomenal. Now, William Lane Craig, whose organization put this together, is a phenomenal apologist. But you should know that most of the scientists he just put before you were atheists. He didn't get together a collection of stellar Christians and have them give you their perspective. He used a lot of atheists to prove his point. One of the things, the beautiful parts of that video, is it gets you to this idea of design. But implicitly, the idea of design suggests purpose. Because God just didn't do all of that for nothing. He created all of it specifically and intentionally to glorify himself and ultimately his son. He did all of that so that someday you would be, you would inhabit one of those spheres called earth. So that you could know him and that you could bring him glory. Because as we've just marveled at the tremendous design of God, which shows and suggests purpose, you should know that you were created 
with the same amount of precision and design. I could show you lots of videos about you, but we've run out of video time. If you move through creation and Genesis, which, by the way, is magnificent, we haven't even really dug into it or touched it, but you start to see God's design at play. When man steps into the picture, you start to see God working with us intentionally. Because he didn't just design us, drop us off, and let us do whatever we wanted. God starts early by granting us purpose, by granting us relationship, and by granting us boundaries. We see in Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. God blesses Adam and Eve. You start to see this hierarchy already. That God is in charge and he's providing for his people. And he commissions them with a commission, by the way, that still carries Be fruitful and multiply. God designed us to build families and purposed us to have dominion. In effect, to steward the earth, to take care of it. We see it further in chapter 2, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man... And he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now stop for just a second and appreciate this. God created work before the fall. So when you go to work tomorrow, don't think this is an effect of of sin. God created work before the fall because he wanted to give us a purpose. See, we live in a culture and a generation now where people want to deny that and stay home and play video games all the time. I think that's purpose. And you miss the reality that God created men to work and to work hard. That was his purpose in creating us. And by the way, there's a nature of relationship in here. Because when God sets Adam up and sets him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, now I'm not a farmer. But I got a sneaking suspicion if you dropped me off on a farm, the working and keeping it ain't going to happen if you just drop me off. God had to play a role in that. Had to show him, Adam, this is how you take care of this. This is now what you do. Adam, I want you to take you over here. This is how you accomplish these tasks. Keep it. Work it. Honor me by doing it. He does the same thing in all of our lives. He gives us specific talents and specific callings so that we'd fulfill that. It's not just pastors who get that, by the way. It's accountants, teachers, agricultural product salesmen, all of us. He designs us, gives us root skills so that he can set us out. So we'd learn that, so we could honor him By what we do. He's still at work. And he's still giving us work. Physical work. 
But he also gave him relationship. And he also gave him boundaries. Keep watching. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man. Now again, commanded shows he's got authority over this guy. You don't just command something you don't have authority over. If you don't believe me, when you go home today, look at your neighbor and command him to do some stuff. See how that works out for you. I command you to mow my lawn. You can even try it with your wife. I command you to make me dinner. It's not going to work out really well. My kids, maybe. Maybe. The Lord God commanded the man. He had a structure. He gave him a commandment. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Pause. Now see in that little statement, God has a desire for this man to provide for him, to take care of him, to bless him, do all of this, eat all of that. And by the way, this is before the fall. You think you've had a good peach? Think about that for a moment. You walk through Revelation, there's a picture of a tree that yields a different fruit every month. That's what we get to eat in heaven. Glory. There are going to be some peaches, some apples, some plums. I don't know what else grows on trees, but they're going to be good. God wanted to bless Adam. He showed him this pathway to be provided for. And he showed him boundaries. Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He gave Adam boundaries. Why? Was it because he didn't want Adam to have any fun? Was it because he wanted to control him? Or did God have this great sense of the pathways that would lead to him being blessed and these pathways that would lead to tremendous pain and destruction? God says to Adam, this is out of bounds for you. This is great. This is good. This is healthy. Be about these things, but this is out of bounds for you. See, even when we walk into the scriptures, we go back into Genesis, you see this tremendous picture of our God, glorious and powerful in creation, creating the visible, fish, dirt, birds, cows, and the invisible, physics, chemistry, all the random things that hold everything together. And he created man in the midst of it. He gave it a a job, a role, and a purpose. And he gave him a relationship, and he gave him boundaries. And you don't have to be a great Bible scholar to figure out how those boundaries worked out. I sat in a seminary class debating how long sin took Adam and Eve to come up with. Most theologians' best guess is a nanosecond. Cool, God, eat the fruit. We're bent that way. We're wired that way. We don't want to believe him. 
We don't want to trust him. We don't want to think his way might be better for us. We choose sin. Our God created the heavens and the earth and created man with a tremendous design. He gave us purpose, he gave us relationship, and he gave us boundaries. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still at work. He's still giving us purpose. He's still giving us relationship. And he's still giving us boundaries. And next week we're going to look at the fall. We're going to look at sin. And get a sense of how does it look when we start adjusting those boundaries. What does it look like when we start writing our own path? When we punt God's view, when we punt his roles, and when we punt his boundaries. I've now teased you. You've got to come back next week. You'll wonder if you don't. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for being a creative God. Father, I look around this earth, and you're incredible. The number of different ants and beetles, the number of different birds. Father, even in this room, the number of skin tones. Father, you're creative in a way that's overwhelming and it blesses us. Father, as we consider you, who you are, and your truth, Father, it's unavoidable in your word to get that sense that you just dropped us off to do whatever we felt like. But God, you gave us purpose. You gave us a work to be about. You gave us a relationship with you. And you gave us boundaries so that we might be blessed. Father, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have blown it, their family would still be in the garden under tremendous blessing. And in a nanosecond, they blew it and chose sin, just like any of us would have. Father, call us back to your intent that we'd know what you have for us. That we'd know your character, your heart, and to know that the boundaries you've set for us, you set in love to protect us and to keep us away from pain. And for your glory. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.